0: I was watching Ben Chilwell pull his hamstring and then carried the tunnel and... He that. was practically dead. Yeah, actually, I passed away. Like that, that, that word was used. Oh, it's, it's a tragedy. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent moves. We're going to say good morning to Nedim Anua. Nedim, good morning to you. How are you? I'm good, thank you. And yourself? Yeah, pretty good. Um... I'm a Villa fan, so I'm absolutely thrilled this morning. Uh, Nathan likes Liverpool, so he's also pretty happy. And I'd say the Man City fans are absolutely delighted with life. Because y- yeah, if anything really. was going to derail you, it was going to be a sending off in one of those games, and, you know, <laughs> maybe you lose it. But actually, last-minute penalty,
1: and Erling Haaland steps up. It, Thanks very it, much. You know what? I do support City, but I can't take you saying you. I'm not part of that. As an next player I can't be part of it. The okay, fair, how enough. I played anyway. fair enough. <laughs> but, uh, fair enough, fair in, enough. In regards to that, like... You see that City looked very comfortable before the red card. Then the red card came and you sort of wondered, because Fulham are a good side. Obviously, they were missing Mitrovic and Cabano, but you're thinking Fulham, for a good footballing side that they are, they're probably going to try and take it to Man City more. But in fairness to City, I think because they almost felt they were wronged by the red card. And, you know, if you lean blue, you'll think it definitely wasn't a red card. If you lean any other way, you're probably thinking it was but what they did they continued to sort of be progressive and play the game the way that they wanted to i think the stats from half time so the red cows after 26 minutes and at half time city had man city had 72% possession and at the end of the game they had 71 so they really believed in what they were trying to do and they made so few errors then the fact is they were very much in the game and then when you can bring on like a Phil Foden and Erling Haaland but then still have a Kevin De Bruyne out there you're always going to be in with a chance so i think uh, a lot of seat fans left that game feeling very happy because the team showed a bit more than say what they usually show because they had to show significant fight because they weren't the underdog because they were playing at home and it was against a newly promoted side but the way in which they did it was very very impressive because when you're down to 10 men the easiest thing to do in the world is just to be playing channel balls and just trying to play for territory but in fairness to them they tried to control the game the way that they normally do and they ended up getting the result that they think they deserved.
2: Pep Guardiola obviously decided not to rush Erling Haaland back from the start, put his faith in Julian Alvarez again. So Alvarez came in from River Plate and was an expectation initially, I think, like a lot of these players. He'd go off on loan for a couple of years and uh, get a lot of game time maybe over in Spain or at one of the other, the other Manchester City clubs. Uh, he's kept them here. He's playing some matches. What was his performance like and is he a... Does anyone's a potential rival to Erling Haaland? Is he
1: a, is he a straightforward replacement for Haaland, or could he potentially play up front with Haaland? Um, I think he can play up front with him, but he is he's completely different. Like firstly, he's half his size. That's what it has how it looks. So you know that's a whole different way to, to to play. But I think he has some similar traits because firstly he's a good finisher, and I think secondly as well, as is the case with people who play up front for City, you're not going to get a ton of touches, but you still need to make the right runs. And I think in Alvarez, he does that very, very well. He's very persistent. You know, he'll go and press. He'll continue to make the runs. And he won't just be once and then throw his arms up and say, why are you not playing me in? Like, he'll continue to do it. And I think when they went down to 10 men, his role was important because that overload can be in the wrong areas unless you have a striker who's willing to occupy two centre-backs, in which case you're kind of man-to-man everywhere else. So I think he did a very good job of that. He stayed patient, made the right runs, created a few opportunities off the back of that. And then even for his goal before they they went down to ten men, I think it was a great running behind. It was a great ball by and a good finish. You know, you want to go out there and and score because everyone everyone thinks that when Haaland's out there, he's going to score. And I think if you can have any sort of feeling like that around him when people see him, then it will be great because he do, he played so well. But then as soon as Haaland was standing on the sideline ready to come on, you you felt like an energy change in the stadium. Alvarez is definitely on the road towards being trusted more by those Man City fans, but unfortunately for him it's hard to get a game when the other guy's already on 20 goals already this season but he seems he seems a good sign and seems like he can develop and the crazy thing is like we also forget him and Haaland are a very similar age so they've got probably the best years ahead of them to come Did De Bruyne dive for the penalty? I don't think he dives now because if you look at it um, Anthony Robinson I think it is he knew so he's not really tried to really kick him but he has caught him and I think if he hadn't I think Robinson would have been complaining a bit more so it looked like he just he'd got his ankle a little bit and it was good. a great bit of movement by De Bruyne and I think ultimately as somebody who would complain every time I felt I was wrong for a penalty I think the reaction of the defender kind of says more than maybe we saw of our own eyes Yeah, I thought uh, when I was watching it live that it was a penalty straight away there's definitely some contact the more you watch Mm -hmm. it back you look and think
2: is there enough contact that De Bruyne can spin around and throw himself down like that? Probably not, but it's in injury time at the end of the game. If the defender touches you like that, every player in the world is going down. And I think, as you say, the defender's reaction uh, Mm. was interesting. Mm. Just on Jack Grealish, I saw him getting a bit of criticism again for his performance uh, at the weekend, and Running a month on from, say, the Manchester derby where he was unbelievably good and really set the tone from the start for Manchester City. We're, in the next couple of days, going to start getting all the World Cup squads. And I just wonder on Grealish and, say, Phil Foden as well, who maybe, except for the Manchester derby, is also not quite hit top form this season. Do you think that's impacting on players, the fact that the World Cup is coming and they want to be a big part of it? Maybe even, going back to our Liverpool chat, and somebody like Van Dijk with the injury problems he has, do you think it's a factor in players' performances at the moment that they're thinking, I don't want to get injured, I just want to keep things steady until I get to Qatar? Uh,
1: I don't think so, no. I don't think so. And the reason I say that is because, you know, football folk, we're very simple, we see what's in front of us and we do our best within that. So if there's a training session or a game, like you go 100%. And for those players who'd be going to the World Cup and being significant parts of it, they didn't arrive at that point from picking and choosing their moments. You know, they will be trying, but there will be lapses in form There'll be selection issues like Phil Foden, I think, in the last three games hasn't started for Pep Guardiola, which must be really frustrating him because he's he's like obsessed with winning. So I think the the World Cup itself, it'll become the biggest issue the moment the games on next weekend are done. And I think as well, there's the if you have a manager, say Gareth Southgate, if he had a thing where he said you have to be playing in 90% of your games for your domestic side and be scoring X amount of goals, and then that's why you'll be selected, then that's one thing. But for these players. Southgate could say he likes them, whether they're playing well, playing badly, not playing, or playing every single week. So for them, they can just really focus in on their club football because the season doesn't end on Sunday next week, or this week or next week, doesn't end on Sunday this week. They will play in that game, and they want to set themselves up to be in a great position to kick on in the second half of the season. So for them, if they're lax in any particular way, you know they'll be out the team by the time they come back, even if they, they could they could go and win the World Cup and come back and see that the place isn't there and that's due to the competitive nature of say some of those positions that they're in so I don't think people are really thinking about the World Cup like that I think we're thinking about it more from the outside because we're seeing the sort of bigger picture but as soon as the ball kicks you know it's a different sort of setup. and I thought that especially watching that Arsenal versus Chelsea game for anyone who saw that that was such a passionate London derby you know tackles flying in everywhere real anger, rage, frustration everything going on But then we should be be thinking, oh, but it's the World Cup soon. At that point, it didn't matter. And you saw those celebrations at the end for Arsenal and for City as well, because those results were huge in terms of maintaining momentum and the thing that matters most of them right now, which is the league.
0: Let's talk a little bit about Arsenal. They're starting themselves to believe that they are title contenders and they're bringing a lot of people with them. think we were sitting in the studio over the last week or so. Nobody really expects Arsenal to man- maintain their talent for the rest of the season. I wasn't sitting here when that conversation happened. <laughs> and and no he wasn't in fairness. he's, he's been he's been on the Arsenal uh, bandwagon since the start. But they they are winning people over week on week on week with uh, different types of displays. Sometimes yep. it's the irresistible attacking force of the kids up front and then sometimes it's the gritty sheer nature of the quality of defense and mm. you know just being really difficult to beat Um,
1: they've got a lot going on yes yes they have and and that bandwagon I think I was I was semi on it like a few weeks ago but I think I'm fully on it now and it was due to the nature of that performance because it's a way to Chelsea a side that needed to bounce back after losing to Brighton you know there's there's a chance for them to gain momentum in front of their fans uh, Derby to put Arsenal in their place But the exact opposite happened. And the thing for Arsenal, it wasn't, as you mentioned, it wasn't just because the front three played really well. Like they did, I thought the front three did okay. But I looked at the defence and I thought Gabriel played really well. Saliba played really well. Ben White played well. Zinchenko played well. Partey in front of them was sweeping up everything. And Arsenal just looked a better side. I think as they step away from the game, I think Chelsea had five shots. They only had one shot on target. Ramsdale's had to field one shot away from home in the Premier League to a rival. So when they. Look back at that performance. You know, they've got such a young team, but they have a little bit of something extra as well right now. And obviously the belief matters when you're top and you've only dropped five points all season. But they found different ways to do it. And then when it came towards the end of the game in terms of game management, all of a sudden you've seen Shaka come to the forefront, Gabriel Jesus come to the forefront of it. Like, to describe how different they are, live in the 94th minute with one minute left to go. Uh, <laughs> Granit Xhaka's in the corner pretending to be outraged by something and pretending to fight someone but all he's doing is wasting time and he's drawing over more Chelsea players to draw them in and you can see he's never going to do anything a couple of years ago or last year maybe Xhaka's getting himself sent off or there's a bigger issue there but instead he's controlling the situation in, in a sort of subtle dark arts way which comes through experience and that's exactly what makes them so good this year because they have a, such a good blend of everything. And fair play to them. They went there. They, I think they probably had more possession. They've had comfortably more shots. They look the better side. And they look like a team that's top of the Premier League for me. And I was very, very impressed by them. The question
2: that kept coming up oh, in recent weeks was defensively, when the pressure came on, how they would handle it and a sense that Gabriel and Saliba, young players, would they? You know, there's a mistake in them, this kind of... Uh, Arsenal of your and they'll always uh, shoot themselves in the foot eventually like the two of them were exceptional yesterday mm. uh, have you and
1: maybe you always felt they were exceptional have you changed your opinion on Arsenal defensively as the season's gone on? Um, in terms of individuals I think the the criticism of like Gabriel that he might have a mistake in him like I think that still kind of does exist but the longer it goes between those mistakes the better we have to the more we have to give him credit for it and I think individually they can defend well in this instance, I thought Saliba was very, very good. Like, I thought he was very good yesterday. But then they also have the backing of someone like a Ben White, who's bombing forward on the right side, but then has defensive tendencies as a, as a centre back out there as well. And also, I think when you play Arsenal, it's not really just people isolated 1v1. The structure is so good. You can see that Arteta's put his sort of fingerprints on that team and they know how to defend against situations. I think there were a couple of times in the first half where Chelsea kind of got in behind, I think their left side. But then there were bodies that were always coming in to sweep in the right spots. And outside of that, the cross coming into the box, everyone's in position. Partey's in there, Shaka's in there, and they're set to go and try and hit a counter-attack and stuff like this. So you need to, first, you need to be able to take your chances when you play against them. But in terms of goals that they'll concede, they don't look like a team's going to concede loads of really silly goals. And individually, I think saliba has been one of the best players in the Premier League this season. And, you know, perhaps he'll be able to continue that for the rest of the season. But look, defensively solid, not because of just the back four, but the entire setup. you got pressing from the front from Saka, from Martinelli, from Jesus, and then that's backed up in midfield by Odegaard getting in on the six. You've seen Partey and Shaka really understand how to just try and win balls around the field. And I think that really affected Chelsea yesterday because whenever they were trying to play out, the pressure was there and you could sort of hear it from the crowd. The ball would go back to to the goal and then he's passing it to Chalabar, he's passing it to Thiago Silva passing to us Bill equator, and that's the principle that Potter wants but now they don't have the same options because they've got a different look because Arsenal are right there with them and I think that type of stuff there means that you can never really put good quality up against them and then defensively the people who are who can be more dominant are in there with the best opportunity because the quality into the strikers is never going to be as good
0: Do they have enough strength and depth to maintain this challenge over the rest of the year or do they just need good luck
1: with injuries? I think everyone needs good luck of injuries, to be honest, because you think about, say, from the Man City perspective, they're two points behind, and they've done quite well this season, obviously. Like, if Haaland's out for two, three months and Alvarez comes in, but there's a, there is a difference right now between Alvarez and Haaland, and maybe your ceiling comes down a little bit, but they still have the same ability to win games. And I think as I look at that Arsenal side, you know, it can be very easy to think about all the things that could go wrong, but every team is going through the same emotions. Like, what happens if the other star players for other teams are get injured say during the World Cup or just while their time's away or they come back and it's a turn of year then there's loads of games and they struggle the depth it might not be the same but then in the same breath like there are players who play in that side who will finish their careers with 7-800 games and it's not going to come because they can only play in half of, half the games in any particular season so I have a belief that even though some of them might drop out They've still got enough quality to be able to win games because they have a structure in play, which makes perfect sense. Like when Zinchenko's coming off yesterday and then you're bringing on a Scottish, like bringing on Tierney, a Scottish international, that's a good spot to be in. you know. So I um, I do have belief in them. Obviously, things could go wrong. But like I say, things could go wrong for everybody. But while it's not going wrong for them, they're printing points at the minute. And to have only dropped five through 13 games, whatever it is, like we have to realise this is a third of the way through the season and they're right up there, so why can't they continue it?
0: Yeah, I think um, their fixture list either side of the World Cup is actually pretty sweet as well, so there's a good Mm. chance they'll still be where they are at the start of January and then, you know, then the confidence starts to come from, hey, we're we're right here, toe-to-toe with Manchester City and then Manchester City have all of the distraction of desperately trying to win the Champions League. Um, Mm. So it's going to
1: be very interesting to see what happens. Mm. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And, The Champions League, you know, it'll affect other teams as well that are in it. You know, Liverpool trying to find a way into the top four. They'll be playing Champions League. Chelsea are in the last stages as well. Spurs are in there as well. And for Arsenal, you know, the reality is they've got those Thursday-Sunday setups in the Europa League, and they're one of the favourites for that tournament. I don't think Arteta's going to be the type of person to just disregard that, even if he's doing well in the league, because it's another... it's It's a chance to win silverware. And for a manager, if you think... A game is a game. And when your team's winning football matches, why do you want to sort of say, well, this one doesn't matter? All the games between now and the end of the season matter. So I love the the fact that we don't know what the second half of the season is going to be like. Obviously, there are issues in terms of the World Cup and the timing of it and the like. But this does feel different. But then I also think it feels exciting because you literally don't know. Because for all you know, some of your players might come back after a week, after two weeks of the World Cup, while some might be there for the full four weeks. And then how do you prepare for the next game? It's going to be really, really interesting. And, uh, yeah, the Premier League's going to provide us with lots of highs and lows again. I, I, I just wonder what the dynamic will be in so many clubs after
2: the World Cup because we just don't mm-hmm. know. Like, think, take Manchester City. What if England win the World Cup? Imagine. Yeah. Imagine if England win.
1: And Phil oh, Foden That's the last thing you want to see. That's the last, of the match that's in the, the World Cup thing. final. That's <laughs> the last thing a lot of nations want to see. We may well be among them. Uh, imagine <laughs> Phil Foden's mad for. of the match
2: in the World Cup final. He's going back to training. He's like, Erling Haaland out of the way, yeah. I'm the superstar here now and early Halland can't cope with that. Uh, yeah.
1: or, or if they go on the piss for the week afterwards, which it, is more likely. Listen, exactly. These these are very, very good points. I think most people feel confident England probably won't win the World Cup, but you never know. It's football. You never know you need to be in it to win it. Um, but yeah, it's going to be so... Yeah. Sorry, that that feels like an attack. Wow, that was not that, meant to was. go that way. <laughs> we, Next time. Yeah. Next time. Next time, yeah. But it should be good.
0: Uh, I do think it's going to be really weird because loads of players aren't going, so do they have do they dedicate themselves and have this incredible fitness regime
2: or do they go line a beach for two weeks and lose a bit of form <laughs> do they do a little bit of both well look I at it,
1: look at Gabriel Mar-
2: Martinelli sorry so we're seeing uh, he's not going to be in the Brazil squad which I think was more or less expected he was sort of on the periphery of it anyways but say Brazil win the World Cup so on one hand you say Martinelli's now fully rested he's coming back uh, December 26th fit ready to lead Arsenal's title charge or Brazil win the World Cup and he's sitting at home looking at this and he's absolutely sick and he's devastated when he's coming back in with his club going I missed out on this yeah and Cousin has the
0: best second half of the season of any world football inspired well, to, to greatness Like who knows that. you missed yeah. It's, um, there's a lot of unknown unknowns but it's definitely going to be good that, um, that was brilliant thanks very much one last thing I don't think you see any of the Aston Villa Manchester United game I don't think we've talked enough about this but um, it's been a long time for Villa fans waiting for a home win against Manchester United and they were fully deserving of it so I don't know if, even if you've just seen the highlights I don't care uh, tell me what you thought
1: it just seems crazy, doesn't it? But then you look at it, and I think Unai Emery became the third Villa manager in a row to win their first game of uh, their tenure, so maybe it was easy money to just pick them. So <laughs> boom. No, the the Man United versus Villa thing—it's not a competition. Like I think it's mid '90s when they last beat them, so we shouldn't go that way. But they did it once, and then lo and behold, who they play in midweek is Villa Man United again. So imagine if he does it twice. Well, be the best manager they've ever seen. There you go. There you go. If uh,
0: if he is, um, then the good times are rolling. Ned, I'm great to have you with us. Thanks a million. That was brilliant. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. OTB AM with
2: Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave magnificent most.